back in the fur shed for episode 54 of the Trapping Today podcast. I'm Jeremiah Wood. I am a trapper from northern Maine. I have been trapping for about 15 years now, and about 10 years ago, I started a website called Trapping Today. I thought it would be a cool idea. Um, I had started blogging about different things and about fishing mainly. Uh, <clears throat> I was really into trapping at the time, and I thought it would be a good idea to, to have a website to share information on trapping and, and maybe uh, reach out to other trappers and, and uh, took it from there. I just started out small and kind of kept plugging away, put a few things up on the site every so often, and here we are 10 years later, and I feel like things are just getting going, just just beginning. So I started this podcast, uh, well, 53 episodes ago. I believe it was sometime uh, not quite uh, a year ago, and I, over the past uh, at least six months, I've been doing an episode every week, and it's been awesome. It's been awesome hearing from you guys. Um, the reason I decided to start a podcast is because, like a lot of people, I noticed myself in my listening habits. I tended to, uh, I tend to consume information through audio far more than reading uh, on a website or watching a video, say on YouTube. Um, I just am so busy occupied doing other tasks that audio makes perfect sense because I can have the earbuds in and I can be listening to podcasts while I'm getting things done uh, or traveling on the road. Uh, it's just a really versatile way to consume content. So I thought, what the heck? I'm listening to podcasts. Why don't I start a podcast? I think that's a great way to reach other trappers. And it's been awesome. I love hearing from you guys. Uh, I love seeing all the downloads and seeing the numbers slowly, slowly increase every week. And uh, tell your friends about the podcast. Spread the word. Um, If you haven't left a rating or review on iTunes uh, or whatever you use to get uh, this podcast, that would be awesome too. Especially the iTunes ones really help uh, bump the podcast up in the rankings. And that means when someone's searching for a podcast on, say, hunting or the outdoors, you know, if, if Trapping Today podcast gets lots of reviews, um, that's it's more likely iTunes is going to show that uh, in in you know recommended podcasts for for people that are searching for other things. So I love I love it when people say they just discovered the podcast and they're they're catching up on back episodes and and they're really enjoying it. So it's great it's great to see. Probably the coolest thing that I have experienced so far though has to be the people who are just were thinking about getting into trapping, started researching things and found the podcast, started listening and uh, told tell me that the podcast has has really gotten them excited about trapping and thinking about trapping more and it's I think it's gotten a lot of people out, you know, people that were kind of on the edge and whether whether they should go out and make sets and and get into this trapping thing. It's been really cool to see people send send pictures of their first catches. I just absolutely love to see that, um, and and I love answering questions too. I like helping people out. It's it's actually a lot of fun. I never thought it would be, but it is. So if you have questions, you can always contact me. Questions or comments, jrodwood at gmail dot com. J R O D W O O D at gmail dot com. 
And we have an awesome sponsor. The Trapping Today podcast is brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. Cots Brothers are a trapping supply company that also, uh, Kyle and Kellen are two brothers. They, they make a bunch of lures. They have a full line of trapping lures. They have books and DVDs. They've done a whole bunch of stuff. They're really good trappers and real neat guys to talk to. Um, the website, probably what I would recommend, I mean, they've got all kinds of great deals and closeouts and a, a discount program and everything else. Probably the first thing you want to do is go to cotsbros.com and uh, click on the newsletter sign up. That's a, There's a tab there near the top of the page. Click on newsletter sign up and get your email address signed up for their newsletter. And what that'll do is every time they send out uh, a newsletter with information on the different discounts and new products and deals, uh, you're going to get that, and and you're going to be up to date on on what's going on, and and you have an opportunity to take advantage of some pretty smoking deals. So the one I'm looking at right now, if you listen to this this week, you'll get in on it. But if not, then uh, you know just keep keep checking back, sign up for the newsletter. If you're listening to this later on down the road, there'll be other things coming up, I'm sure. But they have some muskrat lure, and if if we weren't under uh, six inches of ice right now, uh, I and I was trapping open water muskrats, I'd be grabbing some of this. There's uh, Mill Creek lures, um, Marsh Master muskrat call lure. Cotsboros have this on sale for two dollars an ounce, and you can get a four ounce bottle of it for seven dollars and fifty cents. So that's normally six dollars an ounce and twenty dollars for four ounce. Well, that is a smoking, smoking deal. I, I think it's a closeout. They probably won't have that again uh, once they sell out. So if you get a chance, check that out. They also have this, a similar deal on Mill Creek Coon Lure. So something to check out. And thank you, Cost Brothers, for supporting the podcast. Um, and, and for you guys uh, who want to help out and support this podcast, uh, go to Cost Bros and make an order. Get your trapping supplies there. They'd appreciate it, and so would I. All right, other ways that you can support the podcast. Um, why don't you check out a copy of my book, Fur Profit, Trapper's Guide to the Modern Fur Market. That's uh, You can buy that book. just came out this past uh, spring, and you can get it for tw- about $12, just about everywhere you look. You can find it uh, from Cots Bros. You find it at F&T for Harvest's Trading Post, PCS Outdoors, and you can get it on my website, trappingtoday.com. There's a lot of ways to get that. Um, if in stock, I also, I, I have plenty of books. I, I won't run out of books. I sometimes run out of lure because I make, I make batches of my long distance call lure. And uh, if you want to learn more about that, you can get on the trappingtoday.com on the website and uh, click on LDC lure and you'll get an overview of what that is, why I developed it, and how it works. So I don't make a lot of it. I really don't promote it anywhere other than right here. And uh, <clears throat> I hope uh, you guys get a chance to check it out and let me know how you like it. All right, so let's get into the podcast tonight. i got a few things I want to talk about. But uh, number one, um, we should probably uh, talk about fur prices. You know, that's going to be like number three or four. So I'm going to keep you hanging on. People, people love to hear about fur prices. Anytime I do um, <clears throat> and a blog article on fur price updates, gets massive amount of views. 
uh, podcast that mentions fur prices gets massive numbers of people coming to listen. So people want to hear about fur prices. <clears throat> it's important information for a lot of people. Uh, honestly, fur prices have not changed much. There's a few minor things I'll talk about later on. Uh, but the fur market is kind of dead right now. So it's not very exciting for me to talk about. But I know if you haven't heard about what where we're at with prices, you probably would like an update. I'm going to make you wait around for it a little while uh, till later on in the episode because I got a lot of things to talk about. And uh, oh, I just found out my my mother-in-law is has been listening to a few episodes and she has absolutely no interest in trapping. So maybe I do a little bit of personal trap line stuff first for her and my wife who also listens occasionally. <laughs> and then they can bug out at the fur price uh, section. So the uh, Martin and Fisher trap line, uh, I am still running a line. As you've heard in past episodes, if you've listened, lots and lots of snow up here in northern Maine. It's pretty crazy. We've had it really, I think since I started the podcast, we've had pretty extreme weather conditions, and, and it seems to be uh, <clears throat> the spring never came, so it was winter. You know, we had a couple, two, three feet of ice uh, all the way into uh, mid-April. I was under ice beaver trapping on, I think it was the 10th of April, and it was like nine degrees outside. When I was out checking traps, just insanity with the weather. Uh, winter, winter left late, spring came late, and then as soon as summer hit, it just went crazy. It was hot and dry all summer. It was as I think we we had somewhere somewhere near the coldest winter on record and somewhere near the hottest summer on record. It's just insane. And then uh, this fall, winter just came in early November. Uh, it's first of December as I record this, and uh, we've had a month of snow on the ground. We had. I was talking to a guy who knows a, a National Weather Service forecaster, who said for this area we've had um, the most snow in November in 60 years, I believe he said. So it's been pretty crazy. A lot of snow. It's been cold. It's been staying. Um, starting to warm up here in the next couple of days and it's going to snap cold again. But uh, on my trap line, Martin and Fisher line, I've been tending the line with snowmobile and I kind of had to transition from pickup truck to snowmobile after the second big storm that dropped the, the second foot of snow. And since then we've had other storms. Um, so the challenge being, of course, I, when you set the line on a pickup truck, with almost no snow on the ground or none you kind of get off the road a little ways and you walk into the woods so you can get away from the main roads and you know these are remote logging roads dirt long ways from town but hunters come out and there you know there's people hunting in during deer season uh, that will cover a lot of ground and uh, you just, you know, as trappers, sometimes we're a little paranoid. We, want, we still want our traps and, and sets in sight. And uh, oftentimes you get to get off the road quite a ways just to get in some good cover anyway for, for Martin. So when you get on the snowmobile and you got two and a half feet of snow, all of a sudden you got to trudge through that snow to get to every one of those sets. And that long distance from the road gets to be a pain in the butt. <laughs> 
but that was the least of my problems on Wednesday. Um, I checked sets on Wednesday, and the reason I did it is because we have a, a check law. We have a five-day check law, and, and I kind of had no choice if I wanted to stay legal. So I had to check them, and it was we'd got uh, here at where I live, we got about five inches, but up in the woods, we got there was probably closer to ten inches of heavy, wet snow. And I got out on the line, and that that would all fall, and it was still snowing the whole time I was checking traps. Uh, I think seven of the eight hours it was snowing. It was absolutely miserable. Uh, initially, I wanted to pull my uh, tote sled behind the snowmobile so I could, as I I could pull ten or twelve sets and have put the boxes in the tote sled, and I'd stash the sled in the woods to go pick up. Uh, because I, I can't fit it on the back of my pickup truck with the snowmobile. So I I had that stash. I was prepared to do that. And the snow was so wet and sticky and heavy and, and deep. I could hardly stay from getting stuck on the snowmobile. Let alone be able to tow anything. It was unbelievable. I'm still sore from it. It was... Uh, I had I've had some tough times tending traps in Montana. But this this was the worst. Eight hours of pure torture on the body and on the snowmobile, and the snow was just—you could not stay on the old trail. Uh, the way the snow was, it, it was building up in front of the machines, like the nose of the sled of the snowmobile would have snow just piling and piling and piling up, and you'd have to move from side to side to try to shake off of it. And any time it would pile up a bunch of it, then the sled would ride over it and it would push you off toward the ditch. So it was just constantly getting thrown off the trail. And I went in the ditch five, six times. I powered out of it most of the time, but a couple of times I got buried and I had to uh, stomp down all the snow around the snowmobile and and uh, and get it unstuck. Um, picked up three Martin and three Weasels, so I was pretty happy with that. And I did a bunch of YouTube videos on the Martin. I uh, had a little bit of fun there, even though I was exhausted, and ran the whole line, and and uh, you know it was it was a relief at the end of the day to come back. That was uh, probably the hardest I've worked. I, I don't know, probably I had a lot of traps. I had like 48, 45, 48 traps. So I'm checking again tomorrow. That it's cooled off, and that wet snow is kind of crusted and and hardened up and settled down quite a bit. So it should be better conditions. Um, but we'll we'll see. It's gonna snow a little bit tomorrow, I guess. And I'm gonna try to get out there early and and run the line and, and this time hopefully pull a few sets and and uh, and start moving. So it's been of course a dilemma running a, a trap line. I'm so far out in the woods that uh, with the truck and snowmobile, I'm probably you know it's costing me quite a bit of money. It's costing me probably like eighty dollars plus my time every time I run I tend the traps so if I don't catch three Martin I'm falling behind uh, so it, it's it's challenging um, it's it's too much work to try to get to tend more sets than that in a day and the other thing is with all the snow and not being on snowmobile these links exclusion devices that we're, we're required to use are so heavy and bulky that you just you almost either you have to leave it in the woods or if you want to use those and trap with them and move move them around it's real difficult and you can only i i fit 
I really got creative the other day, and I was able to fit like 16 small ones on the dog sled. Uh, but for the, unless you want to spend time stacking them and strapping them down and going crazy with it, you probably about 10 or 12 is realistic. And so you can only do 10 or 12 at a time. So initially, what I was going to do is is pull 10 and shift those 10. Uh, pull like the first 10 on the line and then shift those 10 beyond the last sets that I have and kind of keep working my way around this area. And uh, th- that was the initial plan and I had some really cool areas. I scouted out a new area in the, the middle of the woods. is way back and, and I, I mentioned it, I think last episode, I was really excited about it. Um, I set a dozen sets there and I didn't get a Martin the first four days. Uh, so when I checked on Wednesday, I, I did not have anything except for one one weasel I believe so a little a little bit disappointing uh, just near there I'd set like five or six new sets close by there and I caught a weasel and a marten in those and then I caught a couple of marten in areas that I had traps out have had traps out for the past three weeks so it it's uh, it's kind of all over the place and what I've learned this season is is really I am I chose the area that I chose has low martin densities. There's no question about it. I've now had enough snow to uh, to be able to to get tracks. You know, I, I could see what's there now. I, I had a hard time in the past getting good tracking snow. It always seemed to snow the night before I check my traps, um, and it still does that a lot. But um, this time I've had a few runs with uh, two to three days of fresh snow to to watch. And I, I've noticed there aren't a lot of Martin there. Um, I, I cover 50 miles and see maybe two sets of Martin tracks. So so that's an eye-opener, you know, and, and it's always important to remember uh, Martin densities are not uniform through across the landscape, even, even in areas that I would consider Martin country up here. And I've learned that as well. Just talked to an Alaska trapper the other day. Um, I may, I'll probably get into that. That was an awesome, awesome conversation with an awesome guy. Uh, and, and there's parts of Alaska that, that on the flats on the Yukon that just don't have Martin at all, especially where they have a lot of links. So it's, it's really interesting that you you think you, you might think you're in Martin country, but you you may not be. So I need to make some moves, uh, uh, this, it's a bit late in the season, to try and set anything new up in that area as far away as that is. Uh, most people pretty much call the quits on the Martin lines up here. Um, <clears throat> I'm considering if I can get these traps back home and get a certain number of these boxes back. I, I don't want to leave boxes in the woods because they, a bunch of them got chewed up by porcupines last year, uh, last last winter. So if I can get uh, most of my boxes back here and... Um, and I have enough time left in the season. I'm 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 scouting out a few areas nearby, and I I'm I'm gonna potentially before under ice beaver trapping. I I may I may run a short martin line around here. I just can't seem to get it out of my system. Um, I'd still like to catch a lot more martin than I have so far, and uh, and I I would just uh, I'd love to keep going if if I can make it happen. So. That's uh, that's my trap line uh, as it is today. So there's lots more to talk about. Um, 
I'm going to next episode. I'll talk about uh, starting setting up a weasel trap line here around the house with my five-year-old boy, and uh, the challenges and the fun that we're having with those uh, couple of traps. Talk about getting the fur shed back into operating shape for the season. And then we're going to continue our reading from Hunters of the Northern Forest about those uh, Alaska native trappers uh, in the 1970s up along the, the Fort Yukon area. Really excited to continue that. But for now, let's get into fur prices. A lot of people want to know about uh, the fur prices in the fur market heading into the season. So first off, I should mention that the major fur auctions, which uh, determine a lot of the state of the fur market and uh, this the demand for wild fur they are not going to have any sales until around the first of March so North American fur auctions and fur harvesters auctions are only gonna have March sales this year and then go for going from there so FHA is March 8 through 15 and then they're gonna have a, a sale May 24th and 25th and then they've got one scheduled for June and uh, NAFA is gonna have their first sale the last few days of February 1st of March uh, one in May 30th the 5th of June one in August so so this has been a trend as the market has weakened ever since like I don't know 2013 2014 the I mean, when I started back in the early 2000s, there was, I think there was a sale in September, um, September or October, and there would be a sale in January, that January end of January, beginning of February, that was a big sale, and then they'd have the, the March sale, and they'd have one in May. Now everything is pushed back, and I think that's, I don't know, I don't know the exact reasons for that, except to say that the 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 marketers are hoping that a stronger market will develop later on in the season and the past few years that just doesn't seem to have happened so there's not a lot of demand early on so they don't sell any fur and they hang on to it and and what happened for quite a few years was they would have the first sale and the prices would be so bad that they would hold back all the fur and just you know, if they didn't meet what they thought was a what the auction house thought was a reasonable minimum, uh, they would hold it for the next sale, and it got to a point where almost everything was held for the next sale, and so they just decided not to have those early auctions. So we will not know a lot about the market until March, which is a long ways away, and most of our trapping will have been completed by then. Uh, there, there are some exceptions. Your local fur buyers, possibly, if they have, they're pretty big and they have some contracts. They, they may have a better gauge on, on the market. The, a lot of those guys are, are just kind of, they're betting on the market as well. Some of them are buying fur and they're sending it to NAFA and fur harvesters as, as well. So, um you won't see a lot of you may not see a lot of risk taking on that end and probably prices will be on the low side but like uh, regional buyers like uh, Grenwald Fur and Wool Company 
they they are big. They move a lot of fur and they buy early. They're buying fur right now, so they kind of have uh, they 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 can gauge the market pretty good. And I can talk a little bit here. Um, some of the prices that I have written down here are based on things I've heard about what what they've been paying. Uh, they operate mainly in the central part of the country. They buy a lot of coons. They buy a lot of beaver. Um, they buy quite a lot of coyotes as well. Um, but but for the most part, we're not. There's a lot of unknowns, and there's not a lot of movement going on in the market. Um, I'm going to probably do a YouTube video on this. I, I've done um, I've done a lot of blog posts. I've done um, uh, podcast episodes talking about the fur market. I did a couple of YouTube videos the past year on the fur market. It seemed to get a lot of feedback. So I'll probably do that just to give people who just see me on YouTube and haven't uh, really got a... A background of the fur market and they're just kind of new into the thing we'll talk probably about the the underlying basis for demand in the fur market Russia China you know where the fur is being sold and why the the demand is so low right now and also how that plays in with the overproduction of ranch mink so there's a lot of those underlying things going on. The price of the U.S. dollar, the price of oil, the economies of Russia and China, and ranch mink economics that are all going to play into this market. Just if you want a prediction, I am going to just throw this out there, write this down somewhere. And um, I, I may be wrong, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, write down the number 2020 2020 because I think by the year 2020 uh, we are going to see a turnaround in the fur market and it may not be spectacular it, it may not be huge but by then the uh, the the mink ranchers will have lost enough money right now they're selling mink pelts for less than the cost of producing them uh, usually they'll hang on the industry will hang on for a couple of years and people start, the high cost producers start going out and then the medium cost producers start going out and the only ones that are left are the low cost producers. Uh, but that substantially shrinks the number of mink and, and to some extent fox as well that are available for sale into the world fur market. And when that happens for a couple of years, all of a sudden the supply is not adequate to meet the demand and the price starts to go up. And when the price goes up for ranch fur, guess what follows it? Wild fur. Because wild fur is is a very uh, good substitute for a lot of the ranch fur. So 2020 is probably when we're going to see a, a turnaround barring any other huge economic changes in the world. So what I wanted to do is probably give you uh, an update. So I send, I've sent fur to both NAFA and FHA. And when you send fur to them, at the beginning of the season, they send you a thing in the mail that has a bunch of tags with your name and address on it. and kind of just makes it easier for you to ship fur to them. And it also has a, a letter giving people an update and a little bit about the state of the fur market. And this stuff is available online. I can uh, link 
to these updates. I'll put them in the show notes of this podcast. But this will give you a little idea on the perspective from the fur auction house side of, uh, of the marketing in, in wild fur. So I'll start with North American Fur Auctions. Their fur market forecast is titled Mixed Expectations for Wild Fur in the 2019 Season. A message from Herman Jansen, Managing Director. Overproduction of ranch mink and fox continues to have a negative impact on the demand for wild fur. Western coyotes, western lynx cats, which are bobcats, and larger, heavier sable, marten, will be the exception. The coyote trim business continues to be in full fashion, with Canada Goose being the major taker of coyote trim for high-end downfilled jackets. As successful as Canada Goose has been, many other fashion companies now are following their lead. Good quality western lynx cats with better belly colors are in very strong demand, primarily for the Russian market, for use in high-end garments as well as trimming. The exclusive market continues to prosper as a result and as a result, top-end lynx cats with bigger size and clear bellies remain exceptionally high in price. Flatter section lynx cats will follow a similar pattern as last year, which means they won't sell very well at all. Lynx with better belly colors will also be in good demand. However, commercial qualities and off-color bellies will be inexpensive or difficult to sell. Larger, good-quality heavy sables are expected to continue to bring a premium, with Korea being the major taker. NAFA dominates as the biggest supplier of all furs to Korea, with 80% of their better quality mink purchases originating from NAFA. Without exception, NAFA attracts the largest number of Korean buyers compared to any auction house in the world, and as a result, we have obtained the highest prices for our sable collection. This is kind of them, Mark, telling you to send your fur to them and not fur harvesters. (laughs) So you'll hear that on, on both sides. Most other wild fur articles will be negatively affected by the overproduction situation. An exception could be female fisher, which were mainly bought by China. However, it's too early to tell given the retail market has yet to get underway. At the present time, North American raccoons, which NAFA has sold at higher than expected levels in the past couple years, have hit a roadblock. We are doing major promotional work and workshops in China, but demand seems to be limited only to the Jumbo and Triple XL Western northern and north central sections like Minnesota, Wisconsin, Dakotas, Iowa, and Nebraska. The major problem for this article is the ban on selling raccoon by the larger retailers in the U.S., including Neiman Marcus and Saks. We will keep you informed of any developments that may change this picture. Early caught, small size, eastern, and semi-heavy sections are nearly impossible to sell at this time. The beaver market is similar to last year with the hatter business taking quantities at very low prices. Red foxes continue to struggle with only the largest, best quality dark red in demand. Limited quantities of better quality gray foxes have been sold, but we'll have to update you on further progress. Muskrats have followed the same pattern as ranch mink this season, steadily declining all season. However, they should be saleable at these lower prices. Squirrels, ermine, possums, are currently not saleable at this time and we believe it will be in the best interest of the trapper to use these skins for different purposes or store them for a year or two. That's kind of disappointing to hear that the weasels won't sell. Um, It is very important to harvest only the better quality fully prime fur because in this difficult market the buyers will be very discriminating. 
We understand that some of you have provincial license quotas and may have to use different criteria and harvest a certain quantity of fur bears. That is a topic that we can have a huge conversation on for a long time. And uh, I'll probably save that for some episode in the future. But um, do you, it's, it's, it's not easy. You know, we can be choosy as trappers, but sometimes the decision is uh, either harvest early fur or you don't get har- fur harvested at all because the weather sets in, the seasons are short, uh, winter comes, and it's game over. So that's that's easier said than done. If, if you're a... If you're selling fur, that might be easy to say, but if you're actually out there harvesting it, uh, not so easy. And also, uh, a lot of you guys in Canada that have registered trap lines had a guy uh, message me the other day that he had they're required to harvest at least 75% of their quota in order to keep their trap line. So that kind of puts you in a tough position. You have to trap those animals, even if the price is low. NAFA continues to be the only company promoting wild fur in all markets. We strongly believe in this commitment and we will continue to explore every possible way to promote and expand wild fur markets in all major fur consuming countries. We are convinced that only through continued promotion can we achieve the highest possible clearances and prices for our shippers. As the retail season opens in major markets, we'll keep you updated. Please continue to visit our website, nafa.ca, for further information on marketing and promotion. So that is the NAFA update. Now let's hear the update and forecast from Fur Harvesters Auction, Inc. This is from Mark Downey, Chief Executive Officer of FHA. And uh, also important to mention, Mark is actually a trapper in Ontario, Canada. Um, he has a registered trap line that he does a bunch of trapping on. So kind of cool to have a guy that traps uh, be this the CEO of, of the auction company. But... It says, 2019 Market Report and Marketing Strategy. Our 2019 auction schedule will see changes with the elimination of our traditional January auction. The past years have shown a decrease in quantities, making it difficult to attract numbers of international buyers needed to have a successful auction. As more and more quantities are showing up on our March auction, we made this decision and will reevaluate this next year. Our season opening auction will be our highly regarded March auction held in Helsinki, Finland, in partnership with Saga Furs. This venue has drawn the largest audience of buyers globally since the partnership was forged five years ago. To maximize the number of buyers for March, we're selling right between Saga's Ranch Fox and Ranch Mink. No other venue comes close to offering the amount of international exposure to a collection of wild furs we do at this location. So this is uh, FHA's way of telling you why you should send fur to them and not NAFA. (laughs) So our May auction will be held May 24-25, North Bay, Ontario. We feel with present difficulties in our industry, it's better for our shippers if Martin and Lynx cats are sold in Finland. We'll be sending our late-season Martin and cat collections to Saga to be included in Saga's spring auction in June. We feel strongly this is the best interest of our shippers, as by sending these two luxury items to Finland, this will ensure they'll be showcased to the largest auction attendance anywhere. Both May and June auctions will be treated as separate auctions. The articles sold in May will be paid out in the usual time frame after an auction, as June sales will be paid after the June auction. Our annual convention is being moved to January 18 and 19. This will help FHA focus on our core auction part of our business, 
Having the convention rate between our two major auctions was challenging. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, this past season was a very close reflection of the previous, with gross sales coming in within less than 10% of each other, keeping your auction house on the positive side at year end. Everyone's well aware many first species are selling below acceptable levels, many of which are the aquatic species. A few long-haired articles such as coyote, sables, and bobcats are in demand, and this is expected to carry into this coming season. FHA continues to receive a premium for top-quality shearable beaver, but skins of commercial and damaged quality will, be likely, will likely continue to sell at recent levels. Strong demand for castorium will help your overall beaver price. Otters and wild mink remain difficult to move at respectable prices, but there is good interest in muskrat at levels we believe are acceptable. All other long-haired items are expected to sell at last year's levels at the start of the season. We have strong orders for well-handled quality bears, wolves, and wolverine for the taxidermy trade. In closing, we wish you a safe trapping season and thank you all for supporting your auction house. So now I wanted to give you trapping today's fur market forecast, I guess. I, I haven't put one down in writing on trappingdata.com and I need to do that sometime here shortly. It's just I honestly haven't been able to get so too excited about it because there's really nothing that's changed in the market. And and you can read my 2017-2018 fur market forecast and, and basically nothing nothing's any different. But anyway, for those of you who would like to hear some numbers, here it is. So beaver, we'll start with them. Uh, beaver are going to be a challenge to sell again. So there's there's essentially no market for long hair beaver, which were traditionally made into fur coats. Um, the shearable beaver that FHA mentioned, there, there's some some demand for really thick prime big pelts, uh, but for the most part, the majority of beavers are going to the hatter market. So unfortunately, what that means is there are like really high quality beavers that used to sell for 30 or 40 dollars just a few years ago from the northern states that have really good fur um, they're selling for essentially the same price as beavers that are caught down south and that's just it seems crazy but the hatter market you know you're talking they're using they're using felt uh, from the underfur of those beavers, I, I guess they're using they're using felt to make these like Stetson cowboy hats. So they don't need a fully prime beaver, undamaged. Uh, they're they're just they're buying volume. So the hatter market's actually doing quite well, and that's the only thing that's been supporting beaver. Period. Uh, beaver, you know forever the main main beaver when i started trapping for a long time $25 $25-30 was an average that was pretty standard and that kept quite a few people trapping beaver around here uh when we got the highs in 13 and 14 2013-2014 like you were seeing 40 to 50 dollars beaver back in the day guys used to get 40 50 dollars beaver when 40 50 dollars was worth a lot more than it is now but Right now we're looking at ten to thirteen dollars for beaver. The southern beavers might be on the nine to ten range. The northeast, like the beavers that we'll catch here in Maine, and some of the ones in Canada, they're probably going to be in the thirteen to fourteen dollar range, maybe. But ten to thirteen is probably about right, and that's pathetic. 
um, and it's unfortunate, but that's that's just where they're at. Uh, the beaver caster, because the beaver harvest is going to continue to be down, uh, caster has good demand. Caster will be high, probably looking at between forty and seventy dollars a pound for caster again. The really top quality caster will probably get seventy. So that's uh, that's a good part of the beaver. If you can keep the caster, uh, you can do a lot better. Um, some in some cases you might get as much for the caster as you would for the pelt for a lot of those spring caught beavers. And you save the oil sacks, sell those to lure makers, um, and uh, you can keep some of the meat either for trapping bait. Uh, you could eat some of the meat if you catch it fresh. So there's other op there's other benefits to beaver trapping. Mink there's very little demand because they the buyers can get as many ranch mink as they want for a low price, but I'm thinking about five to ten dollars for wild mink. Martin should see some pretty good prices. Um, the it's a specialty martin lynx and coyote, uh, but mostly martin lynx are kind of a specialty item. So not a lot of people can catch martin around the country. It's m mainly just the northern areas and the mountain ranges. So the supply is limited and uh, there's a there's a unique market there. Uh, probably the uh, the Martin that are caught in like the western mountains like the Montana, Wyoming, Idaho Martin are probably going to be in the 25 to $35 range I would guess maybe maybe on the lower end of that um, but the the Martin that are uh, pretty large uh, the large semi heavy Martin which is a lot of what we catch early season here in northern Maine they're probably going to average around like 35 bucks uh, as they get more prime they're probably going to be closer to 40 maybe approaching 45 um, and and we have a lot of large martin here heavy would be maybe december caught martin uh, but then you get uh, into the 1x to 3x martin those are typically what you trappers catch in uh, canada northern northern canada and in Alaska, especially it seems like the further north and the further west you go, the better the, the Martin quality is. Uh, again, Martin are also uh, sorted out by color, and very heavily graded by color. And our Martin here in Maine are very light in color. There's they're a lot of they're kind of orangish and a lot of like a grayish, like a light gray brown color. Those don't do very well in the market. The market likes the dark Martin, and the Canada and Alaska Martin are tend to be uh, much darker and they're much bigger. So the one to three X, the the northern Canada Alaska skins, semi heavy like early caught, probably going to look at like fifty sixty bucks, and then the big really big really heavy dark Martin are probably going to average seventy to ninety. So that that's pretty awesome, you know. If you got a Martin line up there, uh, you're still gonna get good money. Otter, not much demand. Uh, twenty to thirty dollars, probably, maybe even fifteen to twenty. Uh, there's just there's just not many people that want otter. Uh, lynx have been really disappointing, uh, unless the color is just right and the belly is just right. Uh, probably looking at 
maybe $70 a piece on links. That's about what they averaged last year. And uh, if the demand isn't there, they might go even a little lower. They might just be held back and not sold at all. I think there's a pretty big backlog of links that haven't been sold from last year. Fisher might do well. Female Fisher might have a market for some reason, like that NAFA uh, forecast mentioned that China bought a lot of females. Uh, maybe forty to fifty dollars on Fisher. Uh, I got, I got in the forties last year, so I was pretty happy with that. Bobcats, probably most of the Bobcats are going to go fifty to sixty dollars. Um, and then you have the specialty upscale market, the Russian market for really rich people. There aren't a lot of them, but they pay a lot for the really really good Bobcat pelts. And those are going to be those clear white bellies with lots of dark spots on them and those will probably average three to four hundred dollars again and there may be some opportunity for people to get some five six seven hundred dollar bobcats uh, from those western states montana uh, parts of wyoming uh, new mexico utah Um, there's there's some good cats parts of idaho as well Muskrats, for a long time I was thinking $2.50 to $3. Uh, there's possibly going to be some upward movement on muskrats. Uh, Grinwald has been buying rats, and uh, I think they've been paying more in the range of 3 to $4. And they're talking about maybe in advance to $5 for like really thick winter-caught muskrats that are not damaged. So that'd be pretty cool if you could get that. Um, but probably, probably you could say you're pretty safe in the $3 range on rats if they're any decent. Red Fox are not doing well. Probably average, probably guessing about $15 on Red Fox, unfortunately. Coyotes. So the coyotes are similar to cats in that the high-end, top-quality skins are, like, are in really high demand, and they're going to do very well. The lower quality ones uh, it's just going to depend on how many of those western coyotes are put into the market if the boys out in in uh, montana wyoming uh, south dakota and parts of kansas and nebraska if they're out there catching those really pale coyotes those thick furred coyotes out on the open plains and they bring in a lot of coyotes to satisfy that market, the the grades on the lower end coyotes may not do very well. What happened in one of the auctions last year, the big auction where the coyote prices just went nuts, was there weren't enough of those western coyote pelts for the number of buyers that were in the room. And it was, you know you got like Canada goose, but then you've got we've got people that are buying for them. You've got people that are buying for other companies that are trying to do similar things in the coat business and everybody's picky until the there aren't any skins left in the room and all of a sudden they need to fill an order for a certain number of coats to be manufactured and those thick pale western coyotes are all of a sudden all, they're all getting sold and they're selling they were selling for ninety hundred dollars average so what happened was what was left in the room there were a lot of buyers that were competing for those coyotes and 
you had Eastern Coyotes, which were going for like $20, $25, $25-$30. All of a sudden, they started averaging $40 and $50. And I knew guys from right in, in, right in this area, just a few miles away from me, that were getting 90 to to 100 uh, One guy got $110 for one of his Coyotes. And it wasn't, any, you know, it wasn't much more special than what we normally catch. The difference was there, there weren't any Western Coyotes left to bid on. So that was that brought the average of everything up. Now the next auction, those orders apparently had been filled because there's guys with with Eastern Coyotes that got twenty dollars. Yeah, the price just just dropped, and in some Southern Coyotes only got like ten or fifteen. So you you never know how that's going to work in an auction market. You kind of take a risk there. But um, just for a prediction, um, guessing the you know the Central Coyotes probably going to be around $25. There may, may be some upside there. Uh, Eastern Coyotes, maybe $25 to $35, maybe even up to $50 if if the demand is there. And the Western Coyotes will probably bring between $70 and $100 averages. So the coyote market is very strong, just like the, the better Bobcats. Raccoon, uh, one of the highest volume pelts and one of the most disappointing. Uh, it's sad because... The prices are so low, and so many people in the country have the potential to catch a lot of coons, but there just is no market for them right now. The Midwestern coons, there there is some decent market for the really, 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 really big coons that have nice thick prime fur. Um, some of those might average as much as fourteen, fifteen dollars, um, but. The, probably you're going to see a range in average between 5 and 15 uh, for put-up coon. And anything that's early, a little bit lower quality, any type of damage, any smaller sizes, you're probably looking at between $1 and $5 a piece. So it's unfortunate. Um, if you, you still coon trap, maybe you're doing it for uh, some animal damage control to control uh, coons as they're preying on uh, egg nests and and so f- and, and coons that are robbing corn from farmers' grain bins. You know, sometimes you just got to do it, and maybe it's a good practice to get some pelts put up, get good at handling coon, even though you're only going to get a couple bucks for them. Um, at, least, at least you're trapping and you're learning to handle fur. So that's an opportunity there. So overall, it's, uh, it's going to continue to be a tough market. It's not going to move much, so uh, I won't... I won't talk about it much in upcoming episodes. If you have a specific question about fur prices, just let me know and I can bring it up. But otherwise, I'm, I'm probably not going to say anything unless I hear or see some something change that, that's important for you to know. So anyway, we're going to wrap up this podcast episode. I appreciate you being here and listening in. Thanks so much. Love having you. Um, be sure to check out more at trappingtoday.com. And check out my book, Fur Profit. Email me if you have any questions, comments, uh, thoughts. jrodwood at gmail.com. And with that, we will catch you on the next episode.